Hey there, and welcome to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast, serving up stories and knowledge on Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. This is what's hot in Dynamics. You're now joining Merlin Schweiger, Liz McGlennon, and Ashley Steiner. Today, we are doing our second episode. It's part of our DNI series, and we have DJ Baker on. DJ Merlin, Ashley, and I are all collaborating on a nonprofit together, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, a little bit later. Uh, but DJ is the president of Firm Facility Services. So, welcome, DJ. We're glad to have you on today. Uh, would you want to share a little bit about who you are and your background and all of that? Of course. Thanks for having me. Like I said, this is a uh, the topics we're going to be discussing today is something I'm, I'm very passionate about. So, anytime I get the opportunity to you know, give my perspective on it. It's always a, a good day for me. But a little bit about my background. I uh, grew up in Chicago, went to school in Iowa, Iowa State. I'm a business owner. I, I run a uh, nationwide facility management and retail construction company. So when I'm not, you know, hanging out with the family and my daughter, I'm just, you know, traveling, you know, and trying to do my part to make the world a better place. You know, that's kind of cheesy to say. Not cheesy at all. I think it's admirable, honestly. What did your journey look like getting to, to starting your own business and, and running firm facility services? People ask this question all the time. And I feel like, you know, most entrepreneurs have this, this cool, like, you know, success stories about, you know, I wanted to be a business owner from day one, but that's kind of the opposite. I actually got into this business by mistake. I was actually a uh, sales manager for another company that was similar to mine. And uh, the company went under and, and laid me off. So I had a better idea of selling the services and expanding our scope nationwide and add, adding new lines of business. So I was like, hey, listen, you know, this is something I can, you know, do a little bit better on my own. And I had a couple of clients and they just believed in my vision and my mission and they followed me and we took off. That's awesome. awesome. I Yeah, I think it's interesting when something bad happens, like losing a job or getting laid off and how that can kind of cause someone to pivot and, and try something that maybe you wouldn't have tried if you were, you know, not in that situation. So I, I don't know. I think it's cool that you you've kind of landed there accidentally. Yeah. And it, yeah, we have, you know, obviously you have your ups and downs, but I wouldn't trade it for the, you know, for the world. So, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Good experience. Good to work with, you know, different people and you know, have a good team around you and things of that sort. So, yeah. First topic or question for today, I wanted to ask about the wealth gap problem. And so I think a lot of times we think about like, how, how can we help fix this? Like, maybe we want to talk about the problem first, but then like, is it just getting a better paying job or what kind of are the factors and the solutions to the wealth gap issue in our communities? You know, I was thinking a lot about that question when you preset the questions over over last night. And my answer to this is, you know, not a real popular one. I think a lot of my friends are going to give me a, a hard time about that. But, you know, you go back and you look, you know, my perspective of this is that if you give a person for easy math, $100,000 a year, right? Say, hey, listen, you're hired. I'm going to give you $100,000 a year. I'm going to pay you every Friday, right? Friday comes and you give that guy the check. If the guy doesn't understand finance nor financial literacy what does it do with it you know like I grew up in like I said I grew up in Chicago I have family members that passed away that never had a bank account wealth is an ownership and if you you have to try your best to to educate I think you know the reason that we have so much 
a gap in wealth, you know, if you're looking at the normal world in the African-American world, is just our, our lack of understanding on finances or education, you know? So I don't think that if you give a person a, a six-figure salary, you know, that's going to shorten the gap or make them successful. I think that if you give them knowledge and education around, you know, finances and, you know, things of that sort, I think that they're going to be successful and they're going to be able to retain that wealth, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of two steps. Like first you have to have a way to, to make the money, but then secondly, like what do you do with it once you have it and how do you yeah, exactly. manage That's, that long-term? Yeah. You know, how yeah. do you, you know, and most people take for granted that, you know, like I, you know, going back to my, my family, you know, my grandma was a sharecropper in Mississippi. You know, she had a sixth grade education. You know, she passed away two years ago. She passed away with no bank account. You know, it's like one of those things that where, you know, you have online banking. You don't even have to go into a branch to open up an account, but for a person not to have one and, you know, even understand how it works or saving or online bill paying, things like that. Like, that's kind of the issue, right? The issue is just, you know, the lack of resources and the lack of education around those things because, you know, even in school and college, I feel like, you know, professors and people who's writing the curricular, you know, you know, take advantage that one doesn't know the same things. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even how to properly use a credit card or properly reconcile your your bank account every month. You know, so you know that the power, you know, is an education. So I know yeah. I definitely wasn't taught that stuff in school. Like my parents taught that to me. So if you don't have parents or grandparents or, you know, someone around to teach you that, then yeah, like how would you figure that out? Yeah, exactly. You don't, you know, then time keeps, you know, giving more space thing. The world keeps changing. Technology keeps changing. And, you know, now you find yourself in, you know, in, in a huge gap trying to, you know, always play catch up and things of that sort. So, you know, I think I- that's, something that we we should focus more on when I always think back like you see people say like oh instead of having like algebra two or things like that in high school really you should be teaching kids how to like balance a checkbook or you know like exactly things that you just said and and I actually was taught that in school but I was taking calculus Liz and it was after we took the AP exam and we had six weeks left of school and it was my dad ironically who's my teacher and he's like cool what are we going to do for six weeks let me show you let me teach you what you have to make in order to live the life that you want to live. But I mean, that was, it wasn't a class. It was just, how do we fill six weeks of school after class is over? And, mm-hmm. you know, so, but I, I, I truly, I, I think that that's an awesome point is how do we educate people um, on, on finances and wealth? Yeah, that is an interesting point. I guess one of the things that, so I would kind of added something onto this question that I was thinking about just based on some things that I've read is around like not only sort of from the individual perspective of do I have a job that pays me enough and to your point do I know how to save that money or put that money to work for me but also the idea of kind of generational wealth and like one of the things that I think you know that I personally have always taken for granted is my job I only have to support me or my family now that I have a family, but I don't like, I don't expect that I have to take care of my parents or my grandparents. Like they've got their own thing. They've got their own money. Siblings, cousins, friends. <laughs> right. Like everybody's sort of like, oh, well, they'll take care of themselves because that's just kind of understood as they'll take care of themselves. Um, 
and one of the things that like I, I hadn't realized until I read something about it was the idea of that sort of generational wealth. If you're from a family that doesn't have any generational wealth and you're the first person to get a good paying job, then like now you're the one that's responsible to take care of everybody else that's still alive in your family. And that's like, that's a lot of extra load. Like, sure, I'm paying for two kids, but I'm not paying for like 10 extra adults on top of that. So. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's a, a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, that's very common in our culture that, you know, the first person to make it out is your responsibility to go back in. You want to help. Right. And cause sure you've been at the bottom now it's, you know, so many resources are kind of put behind you for you to go out there and, and you know, sacrifices were made, you know, like even for myself, like my mom had me, she was 16, you know, and it's like, wow, that's a, you know, see sacrifice, you know, going to college the traditional way and, you know, even our senior year in high school and things of that sort. So, you know, part of that is expectation from the family, but also part of it is an obligation, right? That I feel obligated to, you know, so many sacrifices were made to raise me and, you know, give me, you know, opportunities that, you know, even my cousins didn't have and we grew up in the same family. So yeah, it, it definitely, you know, it definitely adds to that, you know, that, that challenge of, you know, building generational wealth where, you know, you're stretched so thin, you know, and the margins are really so small. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I don't know if there's anything to do about that really other than get more people, better jobs so that the general, like over generations, they'll catch up, but there's, because yes. it's a generational problem. We can't, we can't fix that without like 50 or 100 years going by yeah, well, yeah i was gonna say like the problem is like the solution is not being the first anymore is to be the second yeah. or third or multiple people in your family accomplishing that at the same time right exactly yeah. exactly i feel like the world is so quick and so you know urgent to have this conversation which is important make up for lost times but it's like only thing we can do is continue to have conversations like that and create opportunities like the not-for-profit that you guys put together that I'm a part of, but also just give it time. You know, we didn't get like this in five, 10 years. It's not going to take five, 10 years or, you know, or two generations to get us out of this. Yeah. You know? I think that's a really good point that it's not going to be fixed in our lifetime or overnight or in a super short period of time is that it's something that maybe our kids or grandkids will hopefully like see real change. And that it, it will take more time than I think we wish it would. Absolutely. That's the hardest part is being patient and waiting because, you know, you take these efforts and you're, you're really passionate about it. But I think that's the hardest part is waiting for those changes to take place. Well, and not losing momentum just because you're not seeing the change exactly. real time. Yeah. DJ, you had mentioned like educational resources around like financial management. And that made me think of kind of the classic, I know it's kind of a cliche example, but like professional athletes and they make so much money. And some of them, I know you hear stories like aren't set up for the rest of their lives and they do just spend it on, you know, random things where you did invest that or spend that the right way. Like they should be able to, to, you know, take care of themselves and their families for a long time. So do you have any like recommendations on like, if you're not in a traditional, like if you're not a kid going through the education system and we're not teaching that there, like what are other ways that people can gain those skills or how can we support efforts like that? Research, you know, it doesn't have to be this real like 
complex answer or a complex solution. I spend a lot of my time Googling things. You know what I mean? How to manage my money, money management one-on-one. But now I'm at a place where, you know, I meet with my financial advisor and, and things of that sort. But questions, you know, just ask questions. Well, how does life insurance work? You know, how does, you know, a 401k, how do I contribute to that? Things like that. Let's always be eager. Just and no question is a dumb question when it comes to finance. You know what I mean? And it's one of those things that just go out and seek the answer. You know, and NFL players, just enough smart people around them and enough resources around that those guys shouldn't be, you know, going broke, but it's a lack of understanding because those guys think that they're going to play forever. And I haven't always been financially responsible to young in college and, you know, different things like that. It's like, Hey, I got money that I thought was a lot. Let's spend it. I can go out and make more and I can go out and make more, you know, but as you, as you get older, it's like, wow. It's like, Man, I spent five hundred dollars at the bar. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, that you know, do you know how long it's gonna take to make that back? Or you know, what I can do, I can help somebody else out. Now that's yeah. groceries for someone and things like that. So, yeah, just keep you know wanting to better yourself. Keep asking questions, and you know, just try to surround yourself around you know people that's a lot smarter than you are, and I think it works out. Yeah, that's great. So our next question is around minority-owned businesses. And so we're curious to hear your thoughts on, since you do own your own business, like why are there so few minority-owned businesses? And then again, what can we do about that? You know, this goes back to the first question about the wealth gap. And my answer was a lack of education around it. So let's go back and we're going to take pre-COVID, right? So minority business was... Like we never saw so many like minority businesses open, like it, it was going in a good direction. So then we had COVID and a lot of those businesses start dying, right? But then we had the government pumping out, you know, EIDL, PPP, and that's technically their money. Anybody that pays taxes and is a legitimate business, is structured the right way, is entitled to that money. But the problem is minorities, you know, didn't have the proper relationship or the proper understanding to navigate through those, you know, those government loans that was going to keep them open. They didn't have the banking relationship to go get the PPP. They didn't have a good accounting relationship so they can get their tax returns and things like that. So any good business after a year, if not six months to a year, not being open, not generating revenue, you're going to, you know, it's going to come to an end. Like, you, you know, unless you're like Amazon or, you know, uh, Apple or something like that. So, I think that it is such a disconnect on like even loans, you know, like how do you start a business if no one's going to give you a loan, you know? So I think making resources more um, attainable, you know, that I think that will be great, you know, making underwriting a little bit more understanding to, you know, minorities and grants and things like that. And I think that's the seed that we should plant if we want to see more minority businesses open and, you know, see longevity behind them. Those are good points. There, there are a lot of government systems that we've built that are very difficult to navigate. Even when you have the connections and you know the right people, it's still a real pain in the butt to be like, oh, well, like, like if I need to get this kind of loan, like, well, you got to file this form and you got to go here and you got to provide this information. It's like, well, if you don't know what that stuff is, and you don't know anybody who knows what that stuff is. And you're going to be like, I, I don't even know. Or maybe you don't even pay attention to the news. You don't know it's an option. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You'd be amazed of like how many people are like, wow, we didn't know that. You know, and, it, and the money was meant for business owners to keep people in business. You know, and you'd be surprised at how many other minority business owners I know. Like, 
oh man, I didn't even know that even existed. And it's two years later, you know what I mean? So wow. that that's the, you know, discouraging part about the webcam. You know, you make traction, then, you know, you get hit with a hard time like this and you see so many businesses that were doing well, that were doing the right thing that was needed, you know, seeing those guys crumble, like it's kind of upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that the pandemic was hard on just small businesses in general. And I agree with Merlin. I think all that stuff's confusing and, and difficult, it's, even if you do know it exists and you have someone helping you navigate it. Like I know my my accountant's like, oh yeah, here's all this business information because I have my own LLC and none of it applies to me. But like, I'm still really grateful that he's sending out this newsletter kind of to all of his small business clients and at least informing us of like this, these are the the loans or the offers from the government because of COVID. So I can only imagine, yeah, if you don't have any resources kind of pushing the information at you proactively that it, yeah, you might not even know that it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. What can we do about that? More information, more newsletters. <laughs> I think you have to reach the people where they're at. Like, I, I think that it, it just comes to the point. Like, we, you know, if we want to make a change, we got to kind of like get uncomfortable a little bit. And sometimes you got to just, it's like marketing kind of, you know, you have your ideal of who you want your client to be. How do you get to that client? You know what I mean? And it's not that simple as a, a business analogy, but I, I think that if we kind of take that approach on it, like, hey, listen, like, this is the problem. You know, like, this is our target audience. We're trying to get this information to them. We're trying to reach them. How do we do that? You know, and I think that those are kind of like some of the steps that I think that we should start you know, taking. And I think there was such a demand for those programs, too, that they were running out of funds. So, like, why would a bank market that and try to the demand was higher than I think we were able to meet and so like of course they're not marketing that out to like communities that wouldn't know about it like why would they and and you know the unfortunate part about this is I think one of the I think it was like the EIDL is like the disaster loan it closed December 31st 2001 and we still had like 10 billion dollars that we didn't spend it's just there it's just the treasury has it, the SBA, you know, has it. And it's like, I know like 10 businesses that went out of business. Yeah. It's not helping anyone just sitting there. Sitting there, you know? So it's like, wow. And it's not, they didn't need a lot. It was a t-shirt making company. I needed 10,000. That's not a a lot on a, a, on a, on a grand scheme, but it's like, yeah, we're not doing something right here. It's you too know. hard to get to yeah. that. Yeah, to get that yeah, money to where it needs to be. It's yeah. too hard. It's too many. It's too many loopholes. Like we have removed red tape on this. Like we shouldn't have. You know, American businesses going out of business, and we still have a surplus of ten billion dollars in the SBA bank account right now. That's taxpayer dollars or whatever the money came from. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. Like taking it all in, right? Like listening, and I don't own my own business. I don't actually really know anybody who does, other than. A local bar downtown where I live um but, but you know so these open up just good questions like how do you find out that this stuff is available um and how do you make it easier for people to attain it once they know it's there um I, I don't think those are simple questions to answer but I mean that's kind of the problem we're facing so I know I didn't really add any value there but it's it's something I'm just you know rolling in my mind I, I don't own my own business so I didn't even know about a lot of this you guys are educating me. I didn't know that this stuff existed because it didn't, it didn't impact me. 
So. Yeah. And you're probably not the only one, right? If you don't own your own business. Yeah. I could see how, like, why would you be looking into it? So it was a good summary. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to like programs, initiatives, nonprofits. So I don't think we're going to fix the the slowness or the difficulty of, of working with the federal government <laughs> to get funding um, or loans or all of that. But like, what can we do in our local communities? Like what are initiatives, nonprofits that exist today that help solve some of these problems? And DJ, I know you mentioned that you work for a not-for-profit or you're, you're collaborating with a not-for-profit called Boulder Options. Would you mind telling us about that? And then if there's anything else you want to share, that'd be great too. Yeah. Boulder Options is a program that provides structured time for after-school you know, inner city kids. So a place that can come in, you know, get some homework done, have a snack. It's a mentorship type of program. The president is Daryl Thompson. He's a great guy. I think it's a, a really great program. As we became a community partner with those guys a couple of years ago, I want to say four or five years ago. And as we grow as a company, we make sure that, you know, we provide as many resources as we can throughout the year just to make sure they, you know, their families that they're supporting get everything that they need. So if that's like coat drives or, you know, we donate a lot of gift cards and gas cards and stuff around Christmas time. So yeah, I definitely think that that's something that, you know, you see all the things that's going on in the news with the violence and most of the people are doing that are kids. So we provide more, you know, structured time where they can be mentored by people that look like them or people that can, you know, give them a different perspective than the one they already had. I think that's always, you know, a good way to be proactive and reactive. Is that local to the Minneapolis area? Yes, local to Minneapolis, yep. So as somebody who's not in the Minneapolis area, do you have advice on how to find things like that? I mean, people listening are all over the country. In the, in the world. world. Yeah, in yeah. the world. Like, how would we find uh, places like that to, to help out or get involved with? Yeah, uh, that's a that's actually a good question. I was just blessed to run into these guys really, you know, by chance. I was actually calling on them to be a client and started talking. I was like, wow, this is a, a great program. I think it's something that we definitely want to be a part of. You know, so I think everyone has a boys and girls club and the YMCA and things like that. I think just researching and reaching out to like some of your your local chambers and school programs at your local high school and you know inner city schools I think that tons of opportunities to give back and help out there. DJ are there any other initiatives or, or nonprofits you want to talk about today? I think ours is pretty great you know. Should we talk about, about ours? <laughs> we can you know when I first heard that idea Kyle told me about it I was like wait what you know it's like yeah man it's pro I'm like wow that's no, you think about that type of stuff, but he was like, just to be able to, it, to be created already and be right there in front of you, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. You know, I couldn't believe, so I really thank you for, you know, sacrificing your time and putting something like this together. I know it's not easy and, you know, creating those partnerships and things like that. You know, we talk about how do we do our part in decreasing that wealth gap. Like, I think that you're, you're, you're ahead of your time in regards to this not-for-profit that you put together for us. That okay. means, Liz, you need to talk about it. I was going to yeah. say, we've never <laughs> talked about it officially on the podcast before. So uh, the nonprofit we're talking about is called TechFluent, and all four of us are involved in helping with it. It officially started this year, uh, and we are providing mentorship and training on D365 Power Platform and Soft Skills 
to people from under-resourced communities with the goal of reducing or help reduce the, the wealth gap in those communities. And our first cohort launches on March 21st. So if you want to help in any way, volunteer time, donate money, we need equipment, we need employment opportunities for our graduates, contact any one of us. And Merlin, Ashley, I know you're involved too. So anything you want to add about TechFluent? Well, I'll just say, so, I mean, everything that you guys have said is, is awesome. And as somebody who's talked to a lot of the trainers or people that are going to get involved from mentoring or training, um, when I was talking to, to one and I'll throw Seth's name out here, you know, I said, you know, when we were talking about the time, he said, you know, if I can't give three hours to train, like I'm not focusing on the right thing. Like I clearly don't have my priorities. Right. And so that actually kind of struck me and hit me really hard when he said that. Um, and it's really helped me get like focused and kind of the, direct the conversations that I'm having with people. Cause if we can't give three hours twice a year for something this important, then we're not prioritizing our time appropriately. So I thought that was really powerful and, and kind of has really driven me to get even more involved or want to do more. That is a good point. Yeah. And I just want to say, I'm really grateful. It's all volunteer led. It's, you know, all volunteer time and we have over 40 confirmed mentors and trainers helping us with the program in addition to the like the leadership volunteer team and the board and there's too many names to list them off all here but I'm really appreciative of having the help from the community because we couldn't do it uh, if we didn't have those volunteer trainers and mentors. I'll say from my perspective as the person who's trying to find the the essentially the jobs for the graduates um, all the conversations that I keep having with the partners I think are also going pretty well because on the one hand you get you are assisting in something that is a value add to society as a whole but also from a from a purely like economic like selfish standpoint every partner out there is looking for more people to do this kind of work because this is a growth industry and there just aren't enough people to do the work that needs to be done and so we're we're sort of like adding a win-win here we can provide access to this community or to this industry for people who wouldn't otherwise have access to it. And the industry itself is getting more people with more diverse backgrounds and perspectives and viewpoints to be able to build better, cooler stuff for businesses. So it's mm -hmm. everybody wins. Yeah. So DJ, last kind of serious question for you before we get to our fun one. Um, how can people like us be better allies for minority communities? Any, right, any a, tips or recommendations there? You know, Liz, that's a, a great question. I, I think that, you know, the best thing I, you know, recommend to people of a, of a different race, I would say, is that, you know, keep having tough conversations. Not everyone is racist. It's just a lot of people who just miseducated by something. Like they have a, have a lack of knowledge or understanding and sometimes their lack of knowledge or understanding of something comes off bad right so anytime you know you're in a space where you can educate someone or give them you know insight of the culture that you have and the understanding that you have that i think that would be very helpful anytime a bad comment is made or anytime something that doesn't really is not politically correct is said you know just stick up for it just you know, do the right thing. So it's kind of simple. I think that everyone can take that advice, you know. It sounds so easy. Why do you think it's so hard for everyone then? Because that's such simple advice. But yeah, if that was really all it took to solve this problem, why, why haven't we gotten there yet? 
you know, for, for an example, I have a friend who went to Thanksgiving dinner, right? And her uncle, he's an older guy, he made a comment. And, you know, he's an elder in the family. No one wanted to be the first one to say, hey, Uncle Pat, you probably shouldn't say that. You know what I mean? Like, no one wants to ruin Thanksgiving dinner, but it's like those type of conversation, you know, he probably won't appreciate that right then and there, but it's like, that's going to that's gonna stick with him. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's easy, but like, who wants to be the first one to put their neck out for Sometimes it's unpopular. You want to be the first person to stick your neck out for something like that. You know what I mean? So well, I always think of it as like, you can't be afraid to offend somebody in that situation. Uncle Pat's probably going to be offended that you called him out and, but you can't be afraid that that'll happen. You know, that you're going to offend someone because over time, you know, they'll realize what they said. And especially in, you know, conversations that happen after that, um, you can't be, I, and that's so hard, Liz, right? Like to your point, like it sounds so easy, but I think it is difficult to like know that you're going to make somebody upset, but it's for the right purpose. Yeah. Yep. It is hard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, it's very like, uncomfortable, you know, like yeah. I even have to, you know, I even find myself, you know, talking about that, like with some aunts and say, hey, you know, aunt, you probably shouldn't say that, you know what I mean? Or that's not the way you should look at that. Or that joke's really not that funny, you know, and it's like, I'm sure there's no malice behind it. Sometimes it is, but it's like, hey, that's not okay, you know. And it's it's our responsibility as as a as a community as a as a whole to make sure that you know we're we're respecting people. And it and it's it's that simple, you know. If everyone does do their part, we're going to make a lot of progress. And just keep having tough conversations and keep being open to you know dialogues like this. Even for you guys, I'm sure this is really uncomfortable. Like to start a podcast and talk about the wealth gap, right? Like, it's not the easiest thing to talk about, you know? And, and yeah, you know, just keep doing what you guys are doing. I think that you guys are definitely making it a little bit easier to keep kicking the can down the road. So I want to give you guys credit for, you know, for doing this and, you know, just, like I said, it, it's not the easiest thing to do and we need more allies like you guys to, you know, help us move this work forward. Thanks. I'll do what I can, even when it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Most of the time. I think it's a good takeaway yeah. <laughs> from this. Yeah. Okay, Marilyn, Ashley, any final questions for DJ before we move on to our, our last one? No, I'm excited for the fun one. Okay. Oh, I think this is the most important one. Because <laughs> I've been asking all the questions. Does someone else want to ask this one? <laughs> yeah, I'll ask. So our signature question um, that we like to ask all of our guests is what is your favorite hot dish? And, you know, being from Minnesota in the Midwest, I would, if you Chicago, don't have hot dishes, yeah. let us know. Yeah, Chicago's in the Midwest. So. Yeah. If I'm being honest, uh, I never had a hot dish before. Really? Yeah, it's not a culture thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, black people eat hot dish, I don't think. (laughs) Well, no, no, honestly, I I have never, never had it. What if we brought in, because we we brought in the definition of a hot dish for. I know it's like tater tots. Yeah, that's like one. So let's put something that you put in the oven, right? Like a a casserole. A lot of people pick lasagna. Yeah. Okay, I have lasagna. I have had yeah. lasagna. Yeah, so anything that's like baked in the oven. Oh, okay, yeah, I have had lasagna, yeah. Yeah, I think something you like pre-cook part of and then you like put it in the oven to finish it, right? Because like lasagna, you have to make the noodles and the meat and stuff. Yeah. Okay, yeah, lasagna. What about you guys? What's your favorite? 
mine is probably macaroni and cheese. I have this awesome recipe where you put like panko breading on the top and it's amazing. Okay. I would probably be a lasagna person my own self. Okay. So anything that's pre-cooked that's put in the oven to finish the bake is a hot dish. That's how I've always classified it. It's like a casserole. Like you make okay. part of it and then put it in the oven. Okay. I have had lasagna and, you know, baked mac and cheese. And, okay. Let's just broaden it. What's your favorite food then? <laughs> uh, my favorite food, probably crab legs. I really like seafood. Mm. What kind of crab legs? Uh, snow crab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great. I love crab legs too. Like an all you can good all you can eat crab legs place is like my favorite kind of dinner. They're so messy, so I just try to eat them at home. Oh yeah, yeah. You get, you get like dribbling butter down yourself. Yeah, yeah. like things are like flying, and <laughs> I could eat that all day, every day. Yeah. yeah, you know what we need to do sometime, DJ. Since we're both in the, in Minneapolis, we gotta find an all you can eat crab legs spot, and I challenge you to a crab eating leg contest. Because right, that's the only food I can like eat that much of. Really? Man. Yeah. yeah. I can out eat my dad and Tom. Like I've out eaten every single person I've ever challenged. Because you never get full, right? Like it's never. No, because it's so much work. Yeah, it's so yeah. much work. So you're burning. I'll be there to record it on video. Yeah, I'll be witness. I'm not a yeah. podcast could be like all you can eat uh, seafood. Yeah, <laughs> another live one that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to plan it. Oh. <laughs> Tech fluent team outing <laughs> sounds awesome. That would be the worth the trip over to Minneapolis. I know we talk about it. Yeah, a lot. you gotta there come go. visit Ashley. I know someday. You never been, or you just don't make it here often? I just don't make it. Well, since COVID, I don't make it through. I've been there. I've only lived in Wisconsin for almost five years now, and so I've been there quite a bit before COVID, but not since. COVID's hmm. kind of changed the whole world. Yeah, it did. It did a bit. <laughs> Hopefully, it's over soon. You know, we cross our fingers. So. Yeah. Well, All thanks. Right. Yeah, thanks, DJ, yeah. for joining us today. I thought it was a really good conversation. Oh, thank you. I hope I gave you guys, you know, some good content to use <laughs> i hope it was helpful you guys learned some stuff yeah, yeah definitely. absolutely well i look forward to uh speaking with you guys again thank you for listening to the dynamics hot dish podcast for additional content and previous episodes check out our website at dynamicshotdish.com follow us on twitter at dynamics hot dish and subscribe to our podcast for notifications thanks see you next time